Welcome to episode 183 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. You've probably heard me mention before that I believe relationships are the answer to any business or life challenge. So it's probably not surprising that I suggest my coaching clients reach out to their network when they're trying to launch a new product or service. And when I say network, I'm not talking about just the people they currently know and cross paths with on a regular basis. No, I'm talking about their extensive network of what sociologist Mark Grunewetter called weak ties, an idea popularized by Malcolm Gladwell in The Tipping Point. As they both said, there's strength in weak ties. The assignment I give my clients, make a list of 100 people. Their criteria is that these people will recognize your name and you'd be happy to hear from them out of the blue. The third criteria is related to the work my client is in. For some, this means finding people who fit their ideal client demographics Other times, it's people in a specific industry or who have specific hobbies. I suggest they dig back to long dormant connections from 5, 10, 20 years ago. David Burke is captured an amazing array of studies about relationships in his book, Friend of a Friend, which underscores the benefits of rekindling these kinds of weak ties. The time it takes to reestablish a dormant relationship that is based on a shared history is minuscule compared to the year or longer it might take to build trust in a new relationship. Before my clients even put pen to paper or cursor to spreadsheet, they're asking what they're going to be doing with these names and they sound a bit anxious, especially when I say the plan is to reach out in as personal a way as possible and ask to catch up, preferably by phone or video call, sometimes over coffee. When I dig into what is really the cause of their concern, it often is rooted in fear around asking. Fear around asking for help is what is stopping many people from reaching their goals. Fear around asking for money is keeping people from living their dreams and nonprofits from living their mission. I have found joy in asking, which brings me to your challenge for this week. How would you describe your comfort with asking for money or help? Are you uncomfortable? Feels like begging? Hate it? Now, think about a time you were giving money to a charity you believe in or helping a friend solve a problem they were having. How are you feeling now? Great. Wish you could do more. Like a supportive friend. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Asking equals anxiety and giving equals great. What do you think is the number one reason people don't give? They're not asked. If you don't kick yourself out of the way and ask, you are denying your friend's happiness. With that reframe, now look at your list of 100 people and go make someone feel great. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest embraces inclusion as a true beacon for her career. 
an award-winning diversity and inclusion leader, consultant, and speaker. She's committed to diversifying the workplace and training women and emerging leaders to take true leadership positions in all aspects of their lives. She is the CEO of her company, a certified minority and women-owned business enterprise. Her background includes over two decades in corporate America. Her strong project management acumen allows her to educate and create transformational results for her clients. She teaches diversity and inclusion, conscious inclusion, and project management. She's the author of multiple books, including her latest, 52 Tips for Owning Your Career, Practical Advice for Career Success. Please join me in welcoming Simone E. Morris. Thank you, Robbie. It's my pleasure to be here today. Simone, thank you so much for joining us from your office in Newark, Connecticut. It's truly a pleasure to have you on. You and I actually met in Connecticut uh, at an expo, a business expo there. And I knew right away I wanted to have you on. And as you know, the podcast is about uh, inclusive networking. That's definitely a theme of it. But the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Sure. I, I think of leadership as getting others to follow you or a way of motivating others to see your vision. I think of it in that manner. And I sort of have people who jump into my mind as leaders in my career. Uh, One gentleman in particular who is very instrumental in my career, just admiring how he led and how many followed him and how he was just nice and easy about it. So great admiration for him. When did I realize I was a leader? I think that I realized that later in life, not so much later in life, but uh, I think it was after I made a transition from developer to project manager, and I was really unsure about my capabilities to do the job, but the person who was the project manager left the company and I was asked to step into the role from developer to project manager. And I had to really build up my capabilities at that time because I was taking on uh, other people reporting to me to deliver something successfully. So I think that's when I, I started to step up to the plate in terms of leadership. Yeah. I mean, that's a very challenging transition. There's a those are very different skill sets in a workplace, developer versus project manager. And, you know, project managers, a lot of moving parts, a lot of personalities. There must have been something that people saw in you. And actually, let's just roll the clock back a little bit, Simone. I'm curious to go even further back to, you know, when you were growing up, you know, what kind of kid were you on the playground? Did you run for school office? Did you, were you the, you know, did you, you know, not raise your hand or were you the one you know, organizing everyone else to do things. Like, what kind of kid were you? Oh, my gosh. I was the one that was super quiet and shy. And I I am the youngest of six. And so I definitely wasn't a leader at that time because my I, there's uh, four girls and one boy, and they all bossed me around. And so I definitely was the follower doing what I was told. And still very shy, um, just unsure of myself. I really came into myself, I would say, in my college years, really. So actually, maybe it's college that is the correct answer because I joined a sorority and I ended up being the um, pledge master 
for the sorority. And also I was in the Black Student Union and I ended up being the president. So it probably <laughs> is showing up earlier how astute of you to sort of ask that question to force me to go backwards. So yeah. yes, that college, I think, is probably when it started to rear its head. Well, I tell you the order of uh, family, right? That the where you where you show up in the order of, of children can have such an impact. And being the sixth in a in a large group, uh, especially if they're all you know used to how things go, and you're already kind of shy or maybe <laughs> by nature. By the time you're in college, they're they're out of the picture, and you're able to That's kind right. of be in your own, right? Like. I think what's interesting is you describe yourself as shy and yet you got involved with two organizations on campus that were all about socializing. You know, a, a, a sorority and the, the BSU would be, you know, two places to meet and connect. So, so you clearly sought that out and didn't just sit in the corner. I mean, people obviously started to recognize who you were. Well, what kind of shift was that, that for you to go from being, I don't know, I guess, is it more like a wallflower to being in the front of the room? God, that sounds like a good title for the episode. Um, you know, it's really true. I think that uh, it was a major shift. College in general was a major game changer in my life. I tell everybody I know, go to college. You know, it's where you gain your independence because I really believe that's where I started to bloom. I got out from being the youngest and I grew up in a single parent household. And so my mother was very, very strict and I didn't really do anything to ruffle the feathers. I just did what I was told and, you know, I was the good one. And then I went away to college and it was like, I can breathe. Like it was an opportunity for me to explore, try different things and, and just learn how to be independent. And I think it was that confidence and being in a different scenario allowed me to sort of, let me try this and let me try this and see what it's like. And next thing you know, you're running the place, right? <laughs> you know, the title that I just thought of is Out uh, out from the Shadows. That's, oh, God, <laughs> that's what that's it sounds like. No. There you go. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about the shadows of all the people that were around you. And see, so you're out of that. Like, you got to kind of grow into your own person. You know, now that you have this newfound sense of self, where did you head next after college? Well, you know, college, I went back home. And for me, that was a game changer as well, because I was expected to be who I was before I went away to college. And I had a very hard time with that. So I ended up being at home for one year. And then I moved out with my sister. And, you know, we went to see the world. And um, my sister was a lot like my mother. So that didn't last long. And then I moved again. So I think my journey, um, it took me a while to get into my own because even after college, I think I had a perception that things were just going to happen for me because I had this college degree. And it really, really didn't. I had to find my way to leadership in order. I had to find my way to the driver's seat as I tell people in the book, get into the driver's seat because I was allowing other people to call the shots. And I really, I really was angry at college because I thought here I've invested this time and money. I've got this degree and it's not working for me. I'm not doing what I thought I would be doing when I went to college. So, you know, it, it definitely, lots of transitions, 
lots of transitions. Oh, wow. I mean, I think that anyone listening today can relate. And it's still true for people who are graduating from from college these days that, you know, the, the market is there, but they really have to work hard to find their place in that marketplace to uh, to find not just a job, but the career path, you know, and sure. particularly as so much has evolved and changed, you know, what we are doing today may not have existed 20 years ago kind of thing. And so it's, it is kind of remarkable how people can uh, forge new pathways. You know, at some point you, after two decades in the corporate America, you know, you had all these different roles, different leadership opportunities, became a project manager. What led you to decide to let go of what I imagine was a pretty stable way of living, right? Like secure paychecks and health insurance to kind of be doing your own thing. And, and, you know, what was the, I guess, deciding factor in that? What a great question. I think, um, I, I think it, it, it comes down to the point of legacy. What is going to be your legacy? And for me, I was feeling like, you know, this isn't my leg. Like I was meant to do more. So there were a couple of things that happened. One is I really felt unhappy. I, I felt that I had uh, a wonderful job. I worked for, uh, let me, uh, let me rephrase. I, I worked for a wonderful company and, um, I was getting paid very well. I was traveling around the country, but I wasn't happy. And I thought there is more for me to contribute to the world than I'm contributing. And I felt that I was actually behind the scenes because I was in information technology and that's where most of my career has been in. And I was, I felt that I was behind the scenes what happened for me was I shifted from IT to human resources, diversity and inclusion through the path of an employee resource group. When I did that, it opened up my eyes. It, it skyrocketed my visibility to senior leaders. And I was doing things inside and outside of the organization to demonstrate my leadership capabilities. And I really, really love that. But my opportunity came about as a a uh, secondment or uh, a one-year assignment. And so at the end of that time, I was to go back. You know, it, Robbie, it's kind of like college where I graduated and I was going back home. Well, I felt like I graduated from this one-year assignment that I loved and they didn't have any headcount for me. And it was go back to your place in IT. And I was like, I, I can't get, go back because I'm going to get lost again. And so I really felt like I, I am going to have to step out on faith and I will credit the late Susan Jeffers. She's written a book called, or she wrote a book called, um, feel the fear and do it anyway. That was my guidebook for the journey to severance or to stepping out on my own because I was terrified I was raised to have that good job, to, you know, be secure, et cetera, and, and stay there <laughs> until you retire. And here I was contemplating, I got to get out of here. I got to make my mark on the world and uh, I don't have anything else lined up. So I say that Susan Jeffers really, her material is superb. And for any big transition that people have, that's a great book to get. And it really helped me to to take the step that I needed to take. Well, we will definitely put a link to that book in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. And I just want to like dig into your story a little bit. So interesting. 
I, and I heard a little piece there that I want to particularly ask about, which is uh, that you were working with an ERG, an employer resource group. Um, and these are the groups that, uh, in case people listening don't know, are sort of affinity groups situated within large companies. So um, there could be an LGBTQ one, uh, one for different people of color, you know, black or Asian American, et cetera. Um, there's so many. I actually learned of one in, in one company that's for introverts, which I thought was very interesting. Um, I don't think they hold meetings. <laughs> Sorry, this <is> introvert <laughs> joke. <laughs> but, um, but okay, so you just, again, similar to you joining the BSU and joining the, the sorority, you sought out in this affinity group, this employee resource group, um, and, and something transpired again. Like you being around folks saw an opportunity to take on leadership to step up and do something that was not within your, you know, four corners of your job description. Um, and you really liked it, right? It got you out of what you were doing in, in like the, uh, it world. What, like, who were the people that inspired you and, and assisted you and guided you? Like, how do people relate to that part of that story? Um, I did raise my hand. I'm enjoying hearing you play back to me what I've said to you. Um, I raised my hand to be chair. So I didn't just jump into the leadership role. First, I was a member and then I was a committee member. And then I was the co-chair and I was like, I had this vision for what this could potentially be. And uh, before I knew it, I was the chair for this ERG and I was the chair for four years. And, you know, I had volunteers tell me, this is not a company. You, you're treating this like a company. And I had these expectations of the volunteers, like I had a PL or something. You know, I, I was pushing hard. I did a lot in that space. But I, I think um, it really allowed me to blossom and show me creativity and um, that I actually could be down the line, could be an entrepreneur. It was showing me that I had skills to run a business, even though it wasn't a business. Uh, I saw it as a business. And that was the time where I learned that in your career, you need to have a sponsor. I didn't really know what that term meant before that time. I had mentors, but I had a sponsor who was very senior and he listened to me and said, what do you want? He created a position for me when there was no position. He gave me um, six weeks with his department to learn about the commercial. I mean, just so many things happened that blew my mind. Like, how come no one told me about a sponsor? <laughs> you know, and, and so that was really a game changer for me. So that inspired me to actually leave the organization as well to kind of decide what do I really want and to stand in my truth. How did you get connected with the sponsor? I mean, that's one of the challenges, particularly women face and particularly women of color face, is that people in leadership often don't look like them. And there's a, a bias where people tend to want to mentor and sponsor people who are very much like them in many ways, like they have an affinity directly. And so you you have that barrier in place, like the like institutionally, there's that barrier. How did you on an individual level find that person? who clearly saw what you were able to offer and wanted you to do more? So I, in the role in the ERG space, I found my courage muscles. I 
became clearer on the ask. I wasn't that way before. I was waiting to get promoted and it wasn't happening. But when I got into the ERG space, I remember having a $5,000 budget and having this idea that was $80,000 and talking to the executive sponsor about it. And he said, write up a proposal, write up a, a proposal. And I did, and it got approved. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to take a hundred people to Washington, DC to see the MLK, you know, um, um, to get to visit that and, and, and meet with the architect and learn about black history. My God, oh my God, I, I, I could do things. And I think that courage started allowing me to be more um, courageous in conversations. I was hiding who I really was, like just showing this work face. But now with that newfound courage, I started to show my truth and I started to ask for more. So this was the executive sponsor of the ERG and we would have really authentic conversations like, I don't understand this. And he would say, I don't, he would be authentic and transparent with me about his knowledge about diversity and understanding the space. And we would have these conversations that, I mean, it was just amazing. So we, I didn't say, can you be my sponsor? It happened based on relationship building and, and learning to like each other and, and do things and be successful together. I would say. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things here. One is that you made yourself visible by not just joining the ERG, but stepping into leadership and sustaining that leadership role for four years, you know, which a lot of times people just kind of burn themselves out because it's hard to manage individual, you know, volunteer contributions in that way. But, you know, you sticking with it allowed you to develop a relationship with the executive sponsor of the ERG and get to the point where you were trusting each other. You, you had that trust and that connection and that relationship and then it kind of naturally progresses to the point where they're sponsoring you in that more formal, I will, you know, I think, you know, I remember learning about this years ago. It's like mentoring is nice, but a sponsor will mention your name in a meeting when it needs to be mentioned so that Absolutely. you get considered, right? Like a mentor is like telling you how to get mentioned, but a sponsor just does it for you. And it sounds like you found that person by finding your courage, by learning how to ask by learning how to trust yourself. I mean, this is a really, I, I, it sounds like a continuation of what you were doing in college, you know, these different years later. And it sounds like it really set you up to think that entrepreneurship was a path that you could take. What year did you leave the corporate world and head into entrepreneurship? So I left corporate in 2013 and I took some time off to heal. I was lucky. I had a friend who had left the organization before I had, and she said to me, you, you might have adrenal fatigue, you know, where you're just tired. Like it had been such a long run. So I felt that I needed to take some time off just to, just to kind of chill, you know, and just before I figure out what was the next thing that I was going to jump into, I did not immediately know that it would be entrepreneurship. In fact, I was looking for a job to the point of really having that security of health insurance, as you put it before, and, and a stable salary. I started looking for a job, but I didn't look for a job in IT. I looked for a job in diversity and inclusion. 
And I thought I could just take my, um, my experience from the IT space and bolster that with my time in the HR space with diversity and inclusion. But I, I found some doors uh, closed and, and barriers to entry based on the fact that I didn't grow up in HR. And, you know, it came to the point where it was one too many time with a door shut where I said, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to convince people that I'm this amazing employee that's going to go all in and deliver. I'm not. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to make my own way. And I think once I decided that and stopped half-stepping, what I mean by that was I was kind of like exploring entrepreneurship, but still looking for a job. It's like, pick your path and go down that path. So when I finally decided I'm in and I went down this path, that's the path that I stuck with. And, and by the way, Robbie, I should say, this is my third entrepreneurship, um, jump into entrepreneurship because I had tried side hustles before that didn't really work. But this, I decided I'm going to go all in. And it really was another game-changing moment for me. Mm, yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, I I love this idea of taking time. I mean, I've never heard anyone say it that way, but the adrenal fatigue, it makes so much sense. And particularly if you weren't super clear in what happens next. Um, you know, a lot of people I've talked to are, are at or you know, just beyond the 10-year anniversary of their business because the 2008-2009 recession or, you know, the 93 uh, sort of recession or, or something like that, 87. So like there's all these different moments in our economy where people found themselves without work and decided to take the, the leap. And it sounded like you you sort of knew that you wanted to get out of the, that particular environment and you weren't entirely sure what happened next, but you didn't want to go back to IT. And so you took some time. As you started to get a better idea of, of this path that you wanted to commit to, who were the people that you should have called to you to help you on that particular part of the journey? Were, you know, were there people who knew your skill sets and could advocate for you? Like, were there people that you needed on your team because you didn't have certain skills and you that was part of the challenge? Like, how did you develop yourself and, and ready yourself for this part? I would say that it, it's it's been a journey, Robbie. What's been really instrumental and helpful for me is that I have always loved to learn, love education. And so when I feel that there is a gap, I am going all in to try and fill the gap. So one of the things I did was I aligned myself with the uh, Society for Human Resource Management, the chapter in my area. And as you know, as you so eloquently put it, I didn't just get involved or go to a meeting and show up. I ended up on the board and I ended up being the diversity director with a team of six reporting to me, creating strategy. I mean, you know, I when I go in, I go in. So I went in and that uh, was important for me because it helped me to learn a bit more about DNI from that strategic role. It helped me to meet some additional folks. It helped me to demonstrate my leadership capabilities because I then called on them to sort of vouch for me on the LinkedIn platform by giving me some recommendations in the DNI space that I needed to kind of show that I can do this work. So, and then I went off to the National Conference for Diversity and Inclusion. I just started learning more about it. And, and by the way, I learned how to network. I never really liked networking before because I'm an introvert. 
but, and I was hiding behind my computer doing networking that way. I found that I had to force myself to come out of my comfort zone and to start to mix and mingle more than I had been. And I was starting to see results from that. And let me just shout out Nancy Dedia from Boeing or Ingelheim because she was the first person to help me. She gave me a consulting assignment and I was, oh my goodness, I was pregnant at the time. And it was such a wonderful experience that it said to me, I could do this. I need a couple more clients. Like I could do this. It, it was really, really great. And so I will forever be grateful to her for just having lunch with me, just chatting and then remembering me and reaching back. She, you know, I would say that she was a sponsor because she remembered me and then came back to me with an opportunity and it worked out. I worked there for a couple months delivering on some uh, benchmarking surveys, but it was a great experience for me. Wow. So awesome. I am so glad I'm asking these questions. I feel like we wouldn't have gotten here without this sort of, I mean, this is what I love about interviewing people is that, you know, it's often people I've met, but I don't really know as well as I would by asking this. The fact that you got involved with SHRM, um, the Society for Human Resource Management chapter in your area, um, and like, as you said, you didn't just show up and sort of come here and there and, you know, a few times a year, kind of wandering in and out. And I see this as an issue that a lot of people do is, is they don't sort of focus their energy and building of their connections and reputation in a space, you know, going three times in three months, people will start to remember you going three times over 12 or, or 18 months. You're always new. Like no matter how many times you show up, if you show up every four months, people don't remember you. But you stayed consistently involved. You got on the board. You got into a committee that was the work that you wanted to be doing in the world, the DNI work. You took on leadership of that committee. You then got to be acknowledged by your peers for that work, which is a way to bolster your reputation as you're now applying again, either for, either for a job or in this case for clients to be attracting clients. I mean, it's super smart. Um, and and I'm, how did you first decide on that as a strategy? Did you know that it was a strategy or was it just, you like doing this, you like, you like these people? Like, or did you think, I'm going to stick with this for a couple of years and this will help me kind of you know, get a foothold? I think that I just saw an opportunity. Um, this has been a journey for me. I think diversity and inclusion is a journey. You don't have to have your career all figured out. You just try different things and you see what works and what doesn't work. And so this was one of those things where I showed up and I felt like, wow, there needs to be some inclusion around here. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a networking mixer. And I was like, I see some opportunity here that, you know, and then I just started chatting up about um, diversity and inclusion. And there was a person, I will say, um, uh, Joanna Beeman, I think she was the diversity director for the region. And she was, we networked and she said that was an opportunity. And I was like, oh, okay, let me go to the chapter and see. So I began to have conversations and things just kept unfolding. And I think when these things unfold, you have to be ready or willing to take a risk and to you know, you say yes to the opportunity to see where it can take you and the capabilities that you can build up. And so I was saying yes to opportunities 
you know, I didn't have it all figured out, but one thing I know about myself is that I'm resourceful and I'm a learner. And so I, you know, I'm going to find a way. And that's what I did. That's awesome. And so since then, you've been building your client list and you've uh, attracting more and more people into your network. I'm curious, how do you nurture and sustain not just like that inner circle of people, but maybe like the second and third layer out, the people that you might see once a year at a conference or you worked with five years ago, but you haven't seen them in a while. Like, do you have any habits or philosophies or, or practices around that? Well, you know, I really feel like LinkedIn is a game changer and has really helped me. Once, once I just start, I started to be my show, bring my authentic self to work on LinkedIn. Let me say that because oftentimes people lurk on LinkedIn. Oh, I have a profile, but they don't do anything with it. And so I found that I started showing up on LinkedIn just from playing with it. And I started showing a bit more of myself and what I'm doing. And so I'm there consistently. You know, if you look for my profile, I'm showing up there and I'm sharing what I'm doing. What I have found is by me sharing my journey when I cross paths with someone, they say, oh, I see you on LinkedIn. You're doing X, Y, Z now. And that brokers or nurtures um, uh, people that I have come across or worked with over the years. I'm able to reconnect with them. I don't have to talk to them every three months, et cetera, because they're seeing what I'm doing so that when we do pick up the phone to have a conversation, they have some data points of what I have been doing by the way, I don't necessarily have the same data points because it, everybody doesn't show up on the LinkedIn platform, you know, all the time. But they start the conversation by saying, I see you're doing X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yeah, well, what are you up to? And it sort of just brokers the connection or fosters the connection for us to just dive back into where we were many, many years ago. So I think LinkedIn as a career tool has helped me tremendously. It is a very powerful tool and, and most people are underutilizing it. I think everyone should take a look to see how outdated <laughs> their content is. You know, um, an interesting thing we do every time we interview someone for the show, uh, my team, um, shout out to Christy, um, who's, who's been doing a lot of my admin work for, for several years now. She actually will go all over the internet scouring for the way the, the guest describes themselves. Um, so we look at all your social links and your website and what you sent to us and we put it on one document. And I think it's a good audit that everyone should do annually because we often notice discrepancies in those messaging um, between one platform and another because like sometimes we update one and we forget about the other ones. But it's also really good to kind of get a holistic look at, you know, what are you telling people? What is, is and is what you're telling people the most important thing right now? you know, has, has your, um, like, you know, for you, it might've been it at one point and you didn't want it to be about it anymore. So you'd have to shift it, that kind of thing. So I think everyone could sort of take a, a little peek at their own sort of history out on the internet and, uh, move from there. I, I was curious though, if you also, um, do you, do you like, I don't know, I've had people talk about like sending thank you notes or hosting gatherings. Like, are you, uh, are, like, are you ever convening people? Are you, you know, following up in a, in a personalized one-to-one manner in any kind of way to, to particularly reach out to some people in your network over more others? Yeah. I mean, I do stay connected. I was in Danbury the other day having a networking lunch. And, and since I had worked up that way, I reached out to 
Nancy, Danbury, Connecticut. I reached out to Nancy. I reached out to someone else that worked at the company. And I reached out to another company. Hey, I'm in the area. And I thought about you. Just wanted to reach out, say happy new year, see how you're doing and left a message. Did that. Uh, the coffee chats, what I learned, the virtual coffee chats are really a helpful way to get people to uh, catch up. So I have a domain, uh, callwithsimone.com, that, you know, I will tell someone, book some time with me. You know, my calendar is online. Go to callwithsimone.com and, and pick a time and we can catch up that way. So that's another way to stay connected that's not necessarily in person, but I, I still do stuff virtually. I still get out there. And I did not mention the uh, WeBank organization. It's the Women Business Enterprise National Council. I found that to be very helpful to me on my journey. I'm a certified women um, business enterprise. And I found that just networking through that organization, as well as the Elevate Network for Women, has been very powerful in terms of networking and connecting with others. Wow, you just named two really wonderful resources. We'll put everything you're mentioning. We're going to put the links in the show notes and on theschmooze.com. You know, um, I particularly have heard quite a bit about Elevate. And, uh, I, you know, I think that these opportunities to connect with people, I think later in life when we're no longer in college, sometimes we forget that there's, there's still a need to gather and <laughs> connect with others. And uh, we can kind of get stuck, you know, with the same five friends. But seeking out other people based on some common interest or affinity um, showing up, you know, participating, taking on leadership. It sounds like you've got a winning formula for making sure you're continuing progressing your career. I'm, I'm curious to know, though, as we are moving towards the end of this conversation, um, if we were to meet a year from now and we were celebrating all of your successes from the previous year, what would we be celebrating? My goodness, I just launched a new podcast through through the efforts of networking. So I have this new podcast called Inclusion School with another inclusion strategist, Julie Kratz. And a year from now, it will be a year old. So I will be celebrating the journey to getting to a year on that new podcast, because I do have my own, The Power of Owning Your Career podcast, that will be two years old at that time. I'm pretty sure I will have another book at that time. It will probably be around inclusion. For 2020, my word is collaboration. So a lot of collaborations are happening for me with others because I often try to do things myself and I'm finding other people reaching out to me to collaborate and I'm, I'm, I'm really loving that. So those collaborations will be live at the end of 2020. And so it will be interesting to see what comes as a result of those collaborations that I do in 2020. So I think, you know, uh, the other thing that I want is to be doing a good job with balancing my career, my health and family. A year from now, I wanna say that it's a bit more relaxed and not hustle, hustle, hustle and that I have a team to help me continue to scale my business, but I also have some balance where it might look like a four-day work week for myself. I mean, I would be like loving that. So a bit of that personal as well. Wow, that all sounds amazing. And I can't wait to celebrate with you. I love that your <laughs> word is collaboration. I love that 
you have all these great ideas. Um, we'll have to put all the links to the podcast in the show notes as well. And speaking of links, you know, how can people find you and follow your work? Absolutely. I am on LinkedIn. So that's my platform of choice. You can find me on LinkedIn as Simone Morris. I also have a business page on LinkedIn, but I'm also on uh, Instagram, Facebook, the other social media sites under the Simone Morris ENT um, tagline. But certainly if you Google Simone Morris, Simone E. Morris, you're going to find a lot of information and you can get to my website that way as well. So your website here is simonemorrisenterprises.org. Is that correct? Yes. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, this is a really great conversation. So everyone, she mentioned a ton of resources, the books that that were mentioned, podcasts that she's on, her own resources. We'll have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thanks, Simone. You are welcome. This has been a great conversation, Robbie. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Simone. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 183. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as nearly 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Do you want to feel great? Watch my TEDx talk, Hate Networking, Stop Bageling, and Be the Croissant, and then leave a comment on YouTube. You'll find it at robbysamuels.com forward slash TEDx. Do you want to feel incredible? Share my TEDx talk with your network and tag me so I can express my heartfelt thanks. Aren't you glad I asked? If you enjoyed this episode with Simone, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another town professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey, how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.